Hello, we bring you another episode of Budget Podcast. Budget is Nigeria's foremost civic tech organization, leading the advocacy for transparency and accountability in the country. This is the space where we have conversations about governance, transparency and accountability, citizens and institutional engagement in Nigeria. I remain your host, Nancy Odimego. Well, we started a conversation in our last episode on demanding budget reform for resource optimization and we had our discussants, Abel Akeni, the Head of Research and Policy Advisory for Budget. Uh, we equally had Vayala Kwaga, Senior Research and Policy Analyst. Well, good news is I have both of my discussants here with me in this new episode. Abel and Vayala, good to have you on the show today. Thanks for having us, Nancy. Thank you, Nancy, for having us. So previously, we looked at some of the key trends in Nigeria's budget. Uh, we also touched debt servicing and how sustainable uh, it is borrowing more funds to sustain the budget. We also threw more lights on options which the government have for expanding the revenue. We equally discussed having a corruption-proof budget document, as well as the possibility of having a budget that reflects the revenue strength without depending on borrowing. So for for today's episode, we'll be delving straight into the sectorial analysis. Now, in the document uh, that was published by Budget, uh, you highlighted the education sector, the health sector, agriculture, transportation, and works, as well as security. But our focus today would be on security. Let me take uh, an excerpt from the document. It says here that the security sector was allocated 1.97 trillion naira in the 2021 annual budget up from 1.78 trillion naira in the 2023 annual budget to combat insecurity as um, farmers' headsmen clashes, kidnapping, insurgency, and robberies soar. From what I can deduce, there was an increase from 2020 allocation for security in the 2021 budget. Now, let's have Abel go first. Between 2015 and 2021, over 10 trillion naira have so far been budgeted for security, I mean, with zero accountability on actual spending. With this, do you think the lack of accountability reflects the current high crime rates as well as insecurity being experienced in the country today? Thank you, Nancy, for that question. Um, so, I would say yes, quite a lot has been allocated to the security sector. Um, however, I wouldn't say um, those allocations directly um, reflect the high crime rates, um, largely because there are a multitude of factors that feed into um, what causes the crime rate in a country um, to soar. However, one would expect that with that volume of allocations, um, to the security sector, including um, all the different um, agencies responsible for um, domestic security and all. And what we would expect that with that volume of allocations, there should have been um, some handle. The government should have been able to have uh, a handle on some of the crisis um, going on um, in the northeast, in the Niger Delta, and um, several um, other and several other regions of the country. So our largest concern is that are Nigerians getting value for money from that allocation that has been made to security expenditures. And let's keep in mind, these our analysis doesn't exactly capture um, certain expenditures that have been made for security from the excess crude accounts. 
there have been times when the government has had withdrawn money from the excess crude account um, for purchase of, I think, at some point to canoe jets, then um, at some point for, um, I think, um, purchasing equipment for the army to fight um, Boko Haram. So, yeah, all to fight security. All of that is not captured in what we calculated as the allocations. But what we are saying is that this allocation is huge um, and it doesn't in any way justify the high volume or the high rate of crime we have. Um, so, ideal leakage is happening um, from our security spending and um, from our um, weapon bases. Ideal leakage is happening um, to criminal elements in the country. Um, no one knows for sure. But what we do know is that huge amounts of money have been spent on security, but this is not translating to a safer Nigeria for every um, man on, on the street. So, this is a big concern for us. Um, and it's the re- main reason why we are calling on the federal government to investigate and audit um, security spendings across the country. Um, what have these monies been used for? Have they been used for the purposes um, they were intended? Um, the government needs to do a proper audit and if there were infractions and if there were leakages, the government needs to be swift to take actions on them. The reason is that security is such a delicate aspect of our national lives that once there are leakages from the budget, either to criminal elements or to private pockets, you never can tell the level of destabilization those criminal elements can wreck on the country. Um, And at that point, Nigeria will no longer have a monopoly of violence because there is so much money filtering into the hands of um, multiple um, criminal elements. And the, the responsibility rests on the government to essentially, um, or, the, or the federal government itself, that's President Buhari, His Excellency, it rests on him to actually call for this audit because if you look at several aspects of our laws. Take the um, Procurement Act as an example. Um, the Procurement Act basically excludes all forms of purchases for security, um, ammunition and the like, it excludes them from procurement audits, except there is an explicit consent from the president um, to carry out those audits. So what we are saying is that the government needs to ensure that there is a procurement audit for all security expenditures so that citizens can rest assured that they got value for money from the um, allocations that have been made to the security sector um, so far. So let me go over to Royala over there. Now, um, Abel mentioned investigate and audit security spending across the country, and that's on the part of the government. If we have this investigation and auditing already on ground, uh, the document mentioned having over 117 federal agencies receiving allocations worth 24 billion naira on security votes despite having separate allocations for security charges if these investigations are already on ground can we uh, make a justifiable case for security votes as well as the current patterns of its allocation thank you nancy for that question Abel made some fantastic points i would build on them in my response so the answer to that is yes you can always make a justified case for security votes Just like you mentioned, security is a delicate issue that if made too public, will literally inform the various criminal elements it is trying to fight. But at the same time, it means that it is subject or liable to enormous abuse simply because of that lack of transparency. 
So this goes back to what I said during our last podcast. What is the essence of government? Why does a government exist? What kinds of questions and engagements should we be having with our state governors? What kinds of discussions should the president have with his ministers and the heads of agencies? My, my colleague seems to give the government a pat on the back every now and then. I'm of a different view. I, I don't think I can give the government a pat on the back yet because they have monopoly of coercion. They have monopoly of violence. They are the state. So if they have that much power, they have to have a lot of responsibility demanded from them, especially in situations of security, especially regarding the lives and existence of this state called Nigeria and the citizens that constitute this state. So I will say that you can make a case for security spending, but there has to be a discussion around just how that security spending will be audited because it does have to be audited. Now this brings me to the critical role of leadership and the kind of legacy Nigerian leaders want to leave for the country and even as, as themselves, you know, the kind of um, memory they want to leave in the minds of Nigerians. Just what kind of state do we want to create for ourselves? At the rate at which we're going, there may not be a state at the end of the day, if we do not tell ourselves these, these, these hard questions. It's one thing to have an audit done. It's another thing to implement the audit. And this brings us back to the issue of politics. You can talk about how a system ought to operate, but if you do not talk about the incentives for various political actors to do, in quotes, the right thing, if you do not talk about the incentives that should exist in the, in the Nigerian civil service, for civil servants to actually carry out executive functions with value for money in mind, with transparency in mind, then Nigeria will just continue to exist, you know, as it has been existing. Okay, you said there is a justifiable case for uh, the security votes going with the current pattern as well as its allocation. But what can be done? What can the federal government do better regarding disbursements, regarding spending, as well as audits in the security sector? Abel. So I think what they can do um, is to um, implement checks and balances. Um, that's the very first thing that um, the government needs to do because once you have um, civil servants and people in the public service politicians who see that there is the absence of rule of law, who see that there is the absence of any degree of accountability, you would have more people attempting to game the system quickly and make quick funds off the backs of, um, of tax-paying citizens. So the government needs to step up and implement checks and balances. There is a provision for procurement audits. The president needs to be seen to be insisting that all security expenditures should be audited, even if that will be kept um, private from the public. Okay. I mean, the appropriate committees in the National Assembly should be aware of the procurement audits. The presidency should be aware, but the mere knowledge that they are conducting those types of audits would serve as a deterrent to others um, because they will think twice before they, they, they try to carry out certain yeah, 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 before they carry out any infractions. So um, I think that's that's one point I'll make. Another reason or another way um, we or nothing we can do better is basically uh, to isolate certain people who have been identified uh, 
to be involved in several types of infractions, isolate several MDAs um, and make an example of those ones or, or issue words of cautions to those ones as a warning to other MDAs. Now, the document we highlighted that 117 different federal agencies yes. now have allocations for security votes. That is an aberration. There is no justification on earth why those agencies, many of whom are not even are not even security-related agencies, and they have security votes. So even if they want to make a case that that money is for um, some sort of um, security for their facilities, a lot of them also have provisions for security charges to cover those those types of expenses. So you've seen a situation where because there's an absence of consequences, there's an absence of accountability, more MDAs are encroaching and um, taking advantages, advantage of several loopholes that they have perceived um, in, in, in the budget. Um, so the government needs to step up, block these loopholes, introduce checks and balances. Um, in that way, we would have um, relative sanity um, in the disbursements and spending of um, security allocations. Otherwise, if we continue like this, what the country will continue to experience is the um, sprouting of what we call conflict entrepreneurs, which is basically people who subtly uh, perpetrate the existence of conflicts just so that they can allow certain funds flow in their direction. So if there is no accountability, this is where the country is going to head to. You You would have multiple conflicts springing up across the entire 36 states. Now, we have conflicts across more than 25 states and the Nigerian army is already spread too thin yes. and which is why the government needs to intervene very early. The root cause of some of the, root cause of some of the insecurity we see is the looseness with which money can make its way out of the security budget without checks and balances. So that's something that needs to be urgently addressed. So once people see that this president is serious enough to hold the Nigerian army accountable, to, to hold the security fire a minister, to dismiss a minister. If that's what it takes, the president has to do it. So they have to do it. And once and, and once the once the citizens see that the government doesn't have the spine, so to speak, to make that happen, I mean, you embolden a whole lot of other people to toe the same line. Yeah. Look at what we had in um, Malawi recently um, during the COVID-19 period. Um, where the where the president basically fired, um, I think a minister yes. um, for I think the, the the amount that minister spent in Nigerian terms was so little. <laughs> Here in Nigeria, we have billions making their way into thin air with zero consequences. But you had a minister who spent um, COVID nineteen funds for an un- unauthorized trip. I mean that's amazing, and it sends a message. Because about 19 other government officials were also arrested alongside in relation to, in relation to that incident. So once you take steps like that, you send the message out to other people to beware. Well, what we have in Nigeria, we, we, we don't put out deterrent measures um, to people who have been um, identified to commit this infraction. So um, that's, that's one way to go. It seems everything boils down to auditing, it boils down to investigating um, consequences for action. It boils down to politics. Okay, uh, let's let's go over to the next phase. The document provided some recommendations. Um, let's start with Vayala. Let's have some of the recommendations that were captured. The main, or I guess the, the first recommendation is just common sense. 
plug the loopholes. Abel's recent submission emphasized a lack of consequences. Budget isn't putting out these documents for the first time. We've been publishing data and findings on the budget. Other organizations do the same thing. And a lot of these things simply are not new to anyone. So why do they persist? Why do they keep on happening over and over again? Why are loopholes getting wider and wider? Why are they so big that a man can fit his head through them? It's because there are no consequences for this bad behavior. Now, if a minister were to have the power, say hypothetically, to dismiss a director from the civil service, it's possible that other directors would see that, okay, this person means business. The buck stops at his table because that minister knows that the president would do the same to him or her if they were found wanting. It takes us back to the role of leadership. Just how much should a leader be able to take until they say, that's enough. The reason why we were elected, the reason why you have a job as a civil servant is not to enrich yourself, but is to carry out a function, is to make the lives of Nigerians easier. So using the budget office as an example, plugging those loopholes, the, 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 the episode we had uh, the last time, we talked about budget padding, yes. we talked about uh, frivolous items, we appearing talked about yeah, appearing several times in the budget. Why can't the monitoring and evaluation unit housed within the budget office flag these items? Why can't legislators on the floor of the National Assembly carry out their constitutional duty to vet the, to, to vet the budget flag these issues? It's because there are no incentives for them being in cahoots with inflated budgets. Everyone gets a kickback at the end of the day, so a legislator doesn't have the incentive or the reason to say, look, Mr. Executive, or look, Mr. MDA, you cannot smuggle this into the budget because you are stealing from Nigerians. But when the system supports and props up those that do these things, then you cannot expect that same system to magically produce an efficient, effective, equal and fair system of governance or fair governance. It's just not going to happen. So first things first, develop the idea that politics is meant to is meant to meet an end that is beneficial for everyone how do those ends come about they come about through engaging with politicians they come about through politicians deciding that they have to put or they have to stop or they have to make sure the book stops at their table before decisions that affect the livelihoods of nigerians are made uh, thank you for that. So what are the steps budget is taking to resolve some of the identified issues as um, Fayala pointed out? Okay, um, thank you very much Nancy for that. Um, in terms of steps budget is taking, um, I would say that by and large, um, budget has done a large part of its role. Yes. We have introduced um, these issues to the public domain. We have kick-started the conversation and will continue to push um, the conversation um, to the desks of the relevant officers. Um, however, there are um, critical action steps that the government on its own has to take. Um, we have provisions in our laws that can help us redress situations like this. And first example I would give, or first um, step I think the government can take, is to utilize a very good provision of the Fiscal Responsibility Act 
for environment and if we look at um the fiscal responsibility act i think that's on section 27 subsection 2 if we look at that act that act essentially empowers the minister um in the overall public interest you get to request for um environments um and what we want to happen or what we want to see happen is all the issues or all the projects we have highlighted as duplicated all the projects that have been highlighted as clearly frivolous as fraudulent all those projects should be identified and varied out of the ministries where they occurred and those amounts of money should be saved and potentially invested in um say repairs of our healthcare centers across the country or providing more schools for out-of-school um, children. So the very first step the government can take um, is to leverage Section 27, Subsection 2 of the Fiscal Responsibility Act and ensure that all these monies have, are saved by the end of the year because we're having these conversations now because the government hasn't started spending on some of these projects. Okay. So there is still time to um, save the situation from getting bad. There's still time to save um, some of these monies from from being stolen so environment would be the first um, recommendation um, we we'll put out to say um, the government on its own part needs to do to complement um, the effort um, that budget has done in um, bringing these issues um, to, to the fore um, another thing the government can do and we've talked about in the past is to introduce consequences for infractions um, so demonstrate that um, your actions are, or your, your policy statements and guidelines are not just um, paper tigers um, that they can indeed bite when um, the need arises so for example the budget office issued a guideline um, that essentially would have prevented budget padding in 2021 budget they warned all the mdas you get not to smuggle recurrent expenditure items into their budget, into their capex budget. Okay. But we saw a situation after our analysis that a lot of those MDAs still smuggled cap, um, recurrent expenditure uh, into their capex. You get without any consequences at the moment. So if you have issued a guideline, you have identified a problem, you've issued a guideline to solve it. And now your people, the MDAs, did not comply. And you've shown no consequences for non-compliance. Rest assured that in subsequent years, it will happen again. And more people this time will take advantage of it. Because they saw that the few that attempted it got away with it. So um, the second thing we're recommending very strongly is that there should be consequences for infractions of laid down rules and regulations. Um, another thing the government can do very well is to implement some of its beautiful policies. I mean, this federal government, especially at the budget office, there are a lot of intelligent technocrats actually supporting the government. They have put in place a lot of interesting and exciting guidelines, but the government needs the political will to push through and implement these guidelines. Um, one very interesting one I would cite right now is um, the proposal to introduce GPS coordinates um, to capital expenditure projects. So we strongly recommend that that's one proposal that the government needs to ensure is implemented. Because once we have each capital project with their own unique um, GPS coordinates, we would have less occurrences. We have less occurrences of um, duplicated projects um, because I, I know we spoke about it in our last episodes. Um, one very quick occurrence of a duplicated project was, um, I think, the construction of a bridge across River Rima um, by the Border Communities yes. Development Agency, um, and then you had that same project 
occurring um, in the Federal Ministry of Environment um, headquarters. Um, that's the same project, but allocated in two different ministries. Now, if we had a scenario where the each of these projects had their unique GPS coordinates, you would not have they would not be able to have them duplicated because the budget system would not accept two projects with the same GPS coordinates. Um, so this is one solution that technocrats working with the government have come up with. What is left right now is for the government to find the political will to implement it. And I mean, this is not me downplaying the scope of work or the amount of work involved in doing this. It's going to be hard work, but it's work that needs to be done. And I say it's hard work because look at the 2021 budget alone. We have over 19,000 capital projects. So if you want to have GPS coordinates for majority of these, um, it's a lot of hard work you would have to put in place. It's a lot of boots up on ground and it's a lot of hardware equipment you would need to get um, for a lot of these MDAs um, for the appropriate GPS coordinates um, tagging. So there's a lot of work to be done, but the government has the right uh, resources to do it. Last year alone, um, I think they allocated over 17 billion um, to monitoring and evaluation. Um, and um, this year alone, something similar has also been allocated to monitoring and evaluation across all uh, 19,000 projects. So if you have that much money for M and E, um, it makes sense to devote some of it um, to implementation of policies um, like these um, GPS coordinates that will um, prevent the occurrence of um, that will prevent the occurrence of duplicated projects um, in in the budget. So those are some of the recommendations we will continue to push to the um, federal government um, for implementation, um, and it is our hope that they would adopt um, some of some of them. Um, as I mentioned previously, sometimes when we engage with the government, um, like we did when the budget was proposed, uh, not all the recommendations the government will agree to. Uh, when we flagged several frivolous items, the government did not agree to all of them as frivolous items, but they made some compromises and they made some corrections. And we are hoping that this time around, for the new ones that went, the new frivolous items and um, loopholes for corruption that were inserted into the budget, um, that they would attempt um, something similar and um, make those corrections um, um, to the budget. Well, thank you very much. I mean, this was really interesting. Speaking about environment, um, the consequences for infraction, so that others would use it as deterrent. And you also spoke about policy implementation and having the political will to actually implement. You said the federal government have beautiful policies, beautiful policies, but we, we are yet to implement them. Well, I believe that if we implement most of what have been highlighted here in the conversation today, I mean, we should have one less problem to worry about in Nigeria today. Well, I'm thankful uh, because I equally got to learn a few things and I'm sure my listeners have been exposed to some things regarding budget, which reform, maximizing revenues for optimum performance and moving the nation forward as a whole. Thank you so much, Abel Akeni. Abel is the head research and policy advisory for budget while viola quaga is um, a senior research and policy analyst in budget thank you thank do you, you have any last words for our listeners today okay in terms of last words um i would say 
um, if their government officials are listening to this podcast, I would encourage them um, to look at some of these recommendations, largely because it is in their own best interest. When the citizens see that the government is taking the right actions, it builds trust in, in the government and it helps to reduce the current uh, it helps to reduce the current trust deficit um, that we have in the system um, and it enlightens the citizens about several issues and just to buttress my point um, take 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 the non-compliance with the fiscal responsibility act to include all expenditures in the appropriation act right now a lot of citizens do not know that the government subsidizes their electricity but the government spends over, in fact, the government has spent over 200 billion per year in the last three years subsidizing the electricity you and I use, subsidizing the electricity every Nigerian uses. The electricity that is being supplied erratically. You get so, I mean, it's erratic, but the one that is supplied at all is heavily subsidized. So if you do not quote that amount in the budget, there's no way for citizens to even know that you're making that much investment. In their subsidy, so the day you show up that oh, you are taking away electricity subsidy and um, electricity prices are going to go out, mm-hmm. you are suddenly going to meet with huge resistance from the people yes. because they essentially think you are lying. They're like, How come? Why, since when did you start paying why subsidy? Did you not say it before? Exactly, so it's in the government's own best interest if it complies with certain laws because it builds trust um, with, with the citizens. So, thank you very much, Nancy, for having me. Thank you. Um, yeah. Great. Yes. So thank you so much for that, Abel. Excellent points raised. There's there are a million and one things I could draw from that, but I would go to a very, very unpopular statement that Governor Kari Faimi made at the recently held platform discussion at Igomu. He said something about paying more attention to civil servants, and of course Nigerians were horrified that he would say that. But he was right. The fact that he argues for more attention to be paid to civil servants doesn't mean less attention should be paid to politicians. But he does understand that politicians are elected in four-year cycles. Civil servants are there in perpetuity till they retire. So they are the ones that know and understand how government is run and oftentimes are the ones that actually do the actual administration. What am I saying? They are the ones that do the actual administration in a ministry. So we do need to think deeply about, I know you're going to hate this term, civil service reform. Because if we want to reap the fruits and benefits of governance, then more attention needs to be paid to the executive arm of government, the civil servants. And the incentives and disincentives they have to do their jobs, to commit wrongs, to remain there, or to be asked to leave. So in the coming years, or in the coming weeks, I guess, things are very urgent. We do need to think more deeply about just how the civil service administers the country and plays its role in governance. Thank you. Thank you for that. Thank you so much, guys, for joining me today. Well, don't forget to send in your comments, observations, and contribution via tweet on our Twitter pages at BudgetNG, on Facebook, BudgetNG, and on Instagram, it's also BudgetNG. My name is Nancy Odemego. Until next time, to join us again.